If you're just joining us for the first time today or if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad that you're here and watching. We are continuing a discussion on the importance of honor in our society and in our communities and tribes. Uh, two weeks ago, I was sick last week. Alan had to step in for me, but two weeks ago, uh, we began talking about a specific mindset uh, that is a key to us living an abundant life here on earth. We said that an essential key for living an abundant life, how to get heaven to invade your life or your situation, is having a wealth mindset. Everybody say wealth mindset. That's the key. That's what we're going to be talking about. The specific mindset is for you to have a wealth mindset. It is believing that God wants and desires and has the resources to give us an abundant life. We looked at a journey that God took Abram on to learn to have this mindset. We began talking about that. God wanted Abram to go from being rich, because Abram was already a rich man when God stepped in, to being great. We said that it, it is our feelings, it's our feelings about ourselves and about God that often block us from receiving what heaven has in store for us. Do you, I, you have to understand we are in a culture now where we are driven by our feelings. That doesn't belong in the church. It does not belong in the believer. Feelings are real. Feelings are good. But feelings are not supposed to lead you. They're good indicators, but they're not good leaders. Remember that quote? Then we read this, a quote from the book, Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. We limit our life in God so easily and so often because we do not see that which hinders us. That is where we left off. So we're going to dive right into today. We have a lot to get through, so don't look at the clock today. Just get rid of the clock, okay? Um, it was an honor to have uh, Jim here, um, and it was an honor to be an incredible worship service. So let's guard our hearts from bad attitudes and schedule, schedules. And if you have to leave, leave. We're a non-judgmental church. We're not going to grab you in the parking lot and say, get back in there. I want to dive right in by, by starting where we left off. I wanted to cover these four last week, um, but we didn't. But the four keys in your notes, if you're following along, four keys to living an abundant life. He did not say this in the book. I kind of made this up, and I just took his points and made it into a four-point introduction. Um, he did mention these things, but I turned them into a four-point introduction. We're going to break down number four uh, this week and next week. These four keys is where you, will able to, where you will be able to see yourself in one of these categories. Uh, actually, number four. Uh, uh, we'll break down number four where you'll be able to see yourself in one of three categories in number four uh, of how you see the world. This, this discussion that we're about to have has the potential to change your life. It has the potential to be a game changer. It was for me, and I, I didn't realize until I started typing this two weeks ago that it actually shifted our church. This one chapter that I'm about to share with you in two, in, in two weeks' time. Four keys to living an abundant life. Number one is to take on a greater level of responsibility. Now remember, we're talking about the process that God has taken Abram through before he became Abraham, Okay. And there are four key aspects to the process that God began with Abram in Genesis 12, as we read last week. And the first one is not mentioned in the scripture. It's just simply Abram's name. So we usually only focus on the meaning of Abraham's name, which is father of many nations. You've heard that. You hear it in all kinds of sermons. But I don't know if I've ever heard anybody tell me what Abram meant. And Abram actually means, the meaning of his name is exalted father before he became Abraham. So he was exalted father and then became the father of many nations. Pretty interesting. I don't think I have to point out to you that an exalted father is not just a regular ordinary father. Right? God was working with an exalted, with an exalted father. Listen in your notes. Abram was a man who was willing to take on a higher position with more responsibility than the average father. 
he was willing to take on a higher position with more responsibility than an average father. I'm giving you some keys to living an abundant life. You have to be willing to take on a higher position in God with more responsibility in the kingdom than an average Christian to live an abundant life. The meaning of his name reveals this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't, didn't bring a Bible, there are black Bibles under the chair somewhere in front of you. If you can find one, don't be afraid to get up and go get one. It's page 1192. 1192. Hebrews chapter 11. So just listen to me as you turn there. Anyone today or yesterday or centuries ago who wanted to carry God's anointing or launch a revival or start the next great awakening has to understand that God asked those people to take on a greater level of responsibility than the average Christian, the average person. Would you agree? Those of you that have heard Alan's history sermons? Why? Why do I have to take on a greater level of responsibility if I'm going to carry God's anointing in a way that launches revivals and great awakenings? Because the road to greatness is not always easy. No one here at Light and Life is going to tell you that obeying God and following Jesus is easy. It's not. But it's easier than not having Jesus and not having the Holy Spirit in your life. A lot of us can attest to that. And the reward is greater. Alan alluded to that. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. You ready? Oh, the word that God gave us for this year. By faith. By faith, which tells me that this was the only way he was going to endure it. Not on his own, but by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out. Now, this is Abram who became Abraham. Same guy. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, that had to be difficult. That had to be frustrating. And it had to be annoying. After about one day of that. Some of us wouldn't have lasted one hour of that. Am I right? Come on, be honest especially now with our smartphones that have GPSs on them. We don't even read. I wonder if some of our young people even know how to read a map. be interesting, but I don't know if that has anything to do with what I just said. But we can't handle being lost for two minutes, let alone days upon days, wondering where God is leading me. Verse 9, by faith. Oh, they repeated the word faith. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. Okay, so not only do I not know where I'm going, now God has me living in tents. Now, I don't know what he was living in at home, but it must not have been tents because they wouldn't have mentioned because a lot of people lived in tents back then, but I'm guessing he probably had a bedroom by then. Maybe sleeping on a rock with hay, I don't know, but he's in tents now. God has me living in tents for an unknown amount of time in a foreign place where you don't know anyone, you don't know where to go get food or water. You don't know what dangers you'll face along the way. I mean, that'll build your faith and trust in God right there. Am I right? Verse 10. For he waited. <laughs> we just love to wait, don't we? Come on, you don't have to agree with everything I say. No, we don't. We stink at it. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Here's my point. In order to be a person who is willing to follow God to a place whose builder and maker is God, we have to be willing to take on a higher position with more responsibility. The question becomes, how badly do you want to live an abundant life of freedom? Another key to abundant life in your notes is number two, leave your comfort zone. Leave your comfort zone. The second aspect of the process for Abram is the first thing that God said to him in Genesis 12. Abram, I want you to leave your country. I think of people like Alan and Carmi who had a, both had a dream separately that they were going to live in a snowy place. And they left the perfect, by the way, from what I hear from Carmi's hometown on the hills of Panama, it's the perfect temperature all year round. Like, like Costa Rica is, or downtown Panama is 
brutal. But up in the mountains, it's perfect all year round. And she left that for this. <laughs> I think it was like seven degrees when I walked to church this morning. I think my nose hairs were frozen by the time I got down here. They left comfort to be part of this. <laughs> oh, boy. You may have to repray this after this. I don't know. No. They're being obedient, right? In other words, God said to Abram, I want you to leave your limitations, comfort, that you have come to accept as security, your comfort zone. Do we realize that most of the things in life that we think keep us safe and comfortable or rich are actually putting limitations on us from tapping into the heavenly wealth that we have? Do I need to repeat that? Most of the things that we think keep us safe and secure and comfortable, you know, money, our jobs, all these things, our marriage, all these things, are actually put, I'm not saying marriage puts limitations, but sometimes marriage puts limitations on us from tapping into heaven because we worship our spouse more than we do God. Our trust and our comfort are in them instead of God. And those of you that have lost spouses, you know, yep, he's right, trust me, they walked out on me. I know what he's talking about. You know, the things that make us subconsciously think, well, I don't need God right now. I've got these things to keep me secure and happy. Things like our 401k plan, our retirement plan, which have been proven to disappear overnight. Our home, which we could lose overnight. Our job, which is unstable every day in a human economy. For way too many people, it's a relationship or a marriage. Wanting just to be loved, a person that keeps them possibly from tapping into all of heaven wants for them because they place them above God in their life. And one day they wake up to a Dear John letter. Poof, they're gone. Some of us even, even have lost entire families. Like we've been ostracized or we decided we didn't want anything to do with our families over something pretty humanly stupid. Can I tell you something in your notes? I actually believe in order for you to have a move of God in your life, it usually means that you'll have to give up comfort. It usually requires you to move beyond where you feel secure and safe. Am I asking you to divorce your spouse because you're not tapping into heaven? No. Do not read too much into my message. That would be wrong. So nice try using me as your reason for getting out of that. No, you have to work to fix it. I'm talking about people who put their spouses up as idols in their heart. It usually requires you to move beyond where you feel secure and safe in order to have a move of God in your life. Can I tell you, when I wrote that down, I actually jotted something down right next to it that I just think is pretty interesting. I wrote, God is always challenging our feelings. He's always challenging our feelings. You know, the feelings of comfort, the feelings of security. All of those feelings are always being challenged, aren't they? COVID really messed all of that up. It didn't matter what you felt, you were being told what to do. So you lost a lot of your feeling rights. God's always challenging them. A quote from the book, the reason we must leave our comfort zone is that we must have nothing but God to fall back on. If we are going to tap into the wealth of heaven, the reason that we must leave our comfort zone is so that we have nothing to fall back on but God. You see, too many of us have a plan B. Well, what if God doesn't respond to me as quickly as I want him to? I have to have a plan B. Does that, is that the definition of faith? It goes on. The mindset that prepares us to participate in the flow of heaven to earth is a mindset that embraces Christ's command to seek the kingdom first, knowing that God will take care of our needs and our desires. Wow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Another key to living an abundant life is number three in your notes. 
Know your true identity. Know your true identity. We're just looking at the life of Abram and the process that God took him through. And this was the third aspect of the process that God took Abram through. In his next statement, he said, one, I want you to leave your country. Now I want you to leave your family. I'm guessing that most of us would have tapped out on this one at this point. Here's the fact about our family backgrounds, and it comes from a quote in the book. I didn't try to, uh, didn't want to just make you think this came from me, but here's, here's, here's some background history of, of your, or your background and your upbringing. You and I gain an identity from those we grow up with. And it is very difficult for that identity to shift and expand. Let me repeat that. It's very difficult for that identity that we got as a child from our parents and uncles and aunts and grandparents to shift and expand once it's been established in the perceptions of those around you. Whenever you are around them, they look at you in such a way that says, ha look at you. You will never escape the box that we have put you in. And it's just a perception. Isn't that so true? But here's the reality. Only God, the one who actually designed you, the one who understands your true identity and calling, is God. Only God understands your true identity and your true calling. Not your parents, sorry. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't know if they tap into God and and, and, seek and get a heavenly response. But we often label ourselves or, or take on the identity of what other people have said about us. In your notes, the only way that you will discover and become who God made you to be is you'll have to go beyond the limits that your family has put on you. The only way that you will discover and become who God made you to be is you have to go beyond the limits that your family has put on you. I hope the parents are really listening to this now because you can save a lot of counseling sessions and a lot of uh, issues in your adult children later on if you actually listen to what that's saying and be careful what you're speaking into your children. The last key to living an abundant life, and this is the one that we're going to break down, is number four. Transform your thinking. Transform your thinking is a key to living an abundant life. This is the one that we will break down. That's not like a, we've been talking about mindset. Uh, Alan did a whole sermon on it as well. And so that's not like a, oh, I thought it was going to be this amazing thing. No, it, it, it's actually, it is amazing. But it's one of the hardest things to do. This is the one that we'll break down in your notes. It's about, it's about changing the way you see the world by taking on a wealth mindset which is a kingdom mindset, by the way. A wealth mindset is a kingdom mindset. God introduces this four aspect of Abram's process by saying, I want you to not only leave your country, not only leave your family, I want you to leave your father's house. He said that to him. Here's a quote to explain uh, what that means, what God was asking of him, or what it breaks down to, why God asked him to do that. Our, this is really big because this is where we're going to go now into the therapy session. So you have to understand this. Our father's house is the place where we receive our father's identity, our father's covering, and in particular, our father's socioeconomic status. If you were born into a family whose yearly household income stayed around 50000 per year, this experience puts you in a socioeconomic class, and this socioeconomic class has given you a lens through which you see everything. It's the way you look at the world, and it's the way you see, look at the resources in your life. You naturally function with a particular class of people. You identify what is valuable, what is possible, and what different circumstances mean through this lens that you grew up with, this class lens. I'm telling you, this is such a powerful, powerful truth that has the potential to radically change your life. And we need to change our thinking when it comes to how we see the world through our learned lens. So listen closely to this because we usually judge and laugh at all the other classes that are not ours. 
we st- and we'll, I'll give you those classes in a minute. We start to believe that our class is the right class and everyone else is wrong. That is not only a limited view, it's an ungodly view. So we need to fix it, right? I just think that some of us uh, need to have our eyes open to the fact that there are more ways to see the world than the one that we are carrying around. Because if you're a child of God, if you're called to be a prince or a princess, if you're royalty in God's eyes because you're a son and daughter of the king of kings, if you are called to be rulers, which the Bible says you are, then you are wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. But because of your lens from your childhood, some of you don't see that. So we have to confront and expose the way we see things in order for us to be able to handle our role as believers and our responsibility as believers and our our identity as believers and all the heavenly resources that we have at our disposal. Are you ready for your therapy session? Hi, my name's Mark. I don't have a wealth mindset, but I want one. Ready? So even though I'm going to start out with one thing that we're going to look at, uh, we are not going to have as many scriptures uh, today or next week uh, because we are talking about how our minds have been conditioned to think from our childhood and teenage years. But God wants you today to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. And here's one thing that we need to renew our minds about, and it's from the book of Proverbs. A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. A little hard to understand, but so here's how Danny uh, Silk explained it in the book. A prince who does not see himself as a benefactor will punish others with his power. But he who hates gain by violence or controlling others will build a lasting legacy. And this all comes from a mindset. In other words, in your notes, and I'm just trying to break this down so you understand what that that verse means. When a prince thinks like a pauper, pauper, he lives like a powerful survivalist. When a prince thinks like a pauper, he lives like a powerful survivalist. And how many of you believe that you are not on planet Earth just to survive? You are here to thrive in this life. The paupers, every decision and thought is based on how do I stay alive on this planet? The pauper believes the lie that you were meant to be poor and you will always be poor. And the socioeconomic worldview or mindset of the poor is ruled by fear. It's ruled by fear of running out of any daily supply of our resources. Someone with a pauper mindset struggles to give to others. They struggle to tithe to the church because there is a fear that if I give to the church or to others, I will run out. That's a pauper mindset, a poor mindset. And yet, and yet, They will spend tremendous amounts on themselves. Why? Protection. Protection. They have to protect themselves from running out of stuff for themselves. It's a pauper mindset, a poor mindset. And right away, some of us realized what category we're in. (laughs) He hasn't even gotten to the other two, and I already see myself. Well, guess what? So did I. And I called Katie right away and said, why did you, why did you give me this book? <laughs> did you see me? She goes, no, no, no. I, just, I thought for our church that we could start like a culture of excellence. She said it, and I was like, oh, my word. And, and then I'll tell you about that in a minute where it shifted in our church. But I was about ready to yell at that girl because I was feeling convicted, like, oh, that's me. And we haven't even gotten to the other two. But let's be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. Let's be honest in your notes. Paupers believe that their resources are to be used to protect themselves instead of to benefit others. Paupers believe that their resources are to be used to protect themselves instead of to benefit others. They see the world as something that is there to serve them. 
Danny said this in the book, and it's not going to be on the screen as you fill in those notes. As believers, we are all in danger of being princesses, princesses and princesses who think and live like paupers. Unless we are renewed in our thinking, we, are not, we, we not only will be abusing the great power and responsibility that we've been given, we won't even be aware that we're doing so. We are all constrained or restricted or limited by the class view that we receive, listen, in our father's house, our natural father's house. And in order for us to understand how we think and how we should think, how we think now and how we should think, we're going to look at these three classes. In your notes, there are three socioeconomic classes. Uh, They are underlined, but it turned up black and I couldn't fix it, so the underline is black. The poverty lens the middle-class lens, and the wealthy lens. The poverty lens, the middle-class lens, and the wealthy lens. And as we go through this, you will not only identify and agree with one of these, you will also be able to present a case for why the other two are wrong. And just so you don't feel bad, just just know that everyone else is doing the same thing in the room. (laughs) We're all doing it. So everyone relax, chill. We are not going to debate what is right or wrong, over the next two weeks. I just want everyone to see themselves as a son and daughter of the King of Kings. Okay? I will present some material from Danny's book from Dr. Ruby Payne, uh, from her book, Understanding a Framework of Poverty. And then I'm going to let you wrestle it out with God. Okay? How many of you know that in order to obtain transformation or change in your life, you have to take an honest condition, an honest look at the condition of your life right now? Did you hear me? In order to actually have transformation and change happen, to begin that process, you have to look at where you're at right now in order to know what needs to be changed, right? In order to go to the next level, you have to know what level you're on right now in order to know what it's going to take to reach the next level. Okay, well, Dr. Payne does a great job at describing how we all live in very different worlds while sharing the same world that we live in. And she gives this chart, and I gave it to you. It's a separate handout with your sermon notes. It's, it's, it's it, yeah, it came from a brilliant mind, Dr. Payne. And that's P-A-Y-N-E, not P-A-I-N, even, even though this is going to be painful for some of us. She does a great job describing how we, we, we all live in very different worlds while sharing the world in which we live. And she gives us this chart that describes each class, what each class values most in different areas of life. We are only going to take a look at some of them in detail and show you why we must leave our father's house and come into alignment. Listen, come into alignment. That's angel's word for the year, alignment, with the, with the father's house. Leave your limited views, father's home, to come in into an unlimited resourced house. Limited resources, limited view, unlimited. Which one do you want? Your father's house or the father's house, right? That's what we're talking about. Which, by the way, the father's house is in heaven, which means it is unlimited in its resources, and those resources are eternal, not in Dubois or anywhere on planet Earth, which is limited and not everlasting. So are you ready to be exposed and confronted by our current mindset so that we can be renewed into our thinking and realign and reposition ourselves with God, the Father? So we'll begin the discussion and we'll finish it up next week. So you have this chart with you. Over the next two weeks, I want to focus in on the topics of food, destiny, worldview, and driving force, if we have time, all four of those. The rest, of, uh, you, the rest you can argue over lunch about. You can take it down and just start disagreeing with her if you want. Why are we going to break these down? Because I want you to see the influence that these views have on us as believers in the church so that we can recognize where we need to line up with heaven. So we're going to look closely at food. So go to the food section. It will also be up on the screen. We're going to look at food this week. Now, Danny admits that he chose food first just for fun. But actually, this is the one that spoke to me the most about me when I read this book. More importantly, and listen closely to this, 
the way that we relate to food indicates a lot about the way that we relate to all other resources that we use to meet our basic needs. The way we relate to food is huge. Huge. Basically, when someone with a poverty mentality goes to a restaurant, they have a certain expectation. They go somewhere because they have, they will get tons of food because they have a poverty mindset. I want to leave that place stuffed. Sorry, Jerry, but I couldn't help but to think of you and me because every time he calls me, he's like, want to go to the buffet? (laughs) Yeah, because the belief system of a poverty mindset is built on the priority of survival. Buffets, baby, all day long. That's the poverty mindset. Buffets meet my need for quantity. It was at this point that I realized that because I had moments as a child that I feared that we wouldn't have food on the table, and that was not my mom's fault. She never said, well, she, she made comments, but not on purpose to make me fearful. She would just say, hey, guys, be careful. Only eat this because if you don't, we won't have anything to eat for supper. She was just being very frugal, and she was raising five kids on her own. She was working five side jobs just to support us. So this is nothing against my mom, but I'm telling you, we have to be careful what we say in our homes because our children are listening, and it's building fear in them. So I realized when I read this that there were moments as a child that I feared that we wouldn't have food on the table, and now... Now, it's why I overindulge in food. It's fear-based. I'm subconsciously afraid of running out of food. Of my, and my poverty mindset was exposed when I read this. Pretty eye-opening, isn't it? Here's Danny's point in your notes. When our main concern is survival, the poverty mindset, our relationship with food is one of hoarding, quantity, When our main concern is survival, our relationship with food is one of hoarding. And listen, any kind of hoarding is fear-based. What if I run out? Just ask Angel how many times she almost died trying to take food off my plate. Just ask her. (laughs) For real, I almost stabbed her hand with my fork. I mean, it's mine. And if you just take one bite, I might go without. Right? So listen closely to this in your notes. Hoarding prevents me from being generous to anyone. You see why we don't want to walk around with a poverty mindset? Because we're supposed to be generous children. Okay. Listen, wouldn't it be great if we had a problem that we had to get a third basket out because the baskets were overflowing? I can see that happening. I'm prophesying that right now. In the name of Jesus. Not like Alan said, not because we need your money, but God wants your obedience. He wants you to live in a wealthy mindset. Generous. So hoarding prevents me from being generous to anyone unless they're worse off than me, and then I'll give. Like I'll give to Jim's ministry because I'm not homeless, but I'm not giving to the church. Look at the look at look at the way they look at the vehicles they drive and all the leaders in the church. Are you kidding me? But man, homeless, living in a tent in seven-degree weather, I'll give to that. I mean, because I'm so godly, I will give to a ministry, but not the church. They annoy me. All they want is my money. Hear me. This is why so many waiters and waitresses refuse to work on Sundays, because too many Christians have a poverty mentality. Waitresses actually say that they are the worst group to deal with. I want you to think about something as we say this out loud. You think he's proud hearing this, watching, not hearing it, watching this on planet Earth? That waiters and waitresses don't want to serve Christians, so they actually will will refuse to work on Sundays because the tips are so low. Pretty sad, pretty sad comment. Waitresses say that Christians are the worst group to deal with. Church people are the worst group to deal with. They are demanding, they are irritable, and they are stingy with their tips. So I just wondered while I was typing that out, I wonder if our heavenly 
resourced father is proud of that. His children going out to lunch after church, mind you, where they just worshiped the Lord and acted all spiritual. They go into their community and they share their limited view of heaven. Well, I, I, I can't tip you more than 6.15009% because my calculator told me that's all you deserve. And, and I, I have sheets later to go to and I have coffee every morning and cigarettes and my $700 family plan cell phone bill. And so, honestly, when I come in here, I'm going to actually look for you to make a mistake so I don't have to tip you at all. I know Christians like this. They would open the pizza box and look for stuff so that they could call and get their pizza for free. Christians. His children going out to lunch after a worship service, sharing their limited view of heaven with their community. So was your unlimited daddy in heaven proud of your tithe today? If he is... Will he be proud of what you do with the other 90% this week? Listen, folks, these are hard but real questions to ask about ourselves because the love of money is the downfall of nations, let alone individuals. All the chaos that we are seeing in our nation today, can I just tell you, it's because of the love of money. So you better learn to kill this fear of not having enough for you and in you and learn to live with an open-hand belief system. When it comes to your money, open hand. It's called an open hand policy with God. So that way, not only can he take whatever he wants from your hands because it's all his anyways, right? But also it means he can put back into your hands as much as he wants. Because your hands are open, they're free, they're willing, they're obedient. But if you live with a close-fisted policy... The hoarding poverty mindset, nothing going out, which also means nothing coming in from an unlimited heaven. I can't take anything from you, and I can't give you anything, so you're on your own. Go ahead and hold on to that money and see what your children do with it when you die. (laughs) You know that the younger generation, they're not even doing funerals anymore to honor your life because they just want the money. Talk to the funeral directors. They'll tell you. It's all cremations and no memorial services anymore. They're just taking the ashes home and taking the money and running. I don't know if you believe it or not, but most of our spiritual issues are tied to money. They're tied to our giving. If we say that we believe the word of God, we have to believe that. In your notes. The middle class, however... Some of you are like, thank you for moving on. Boy, you just beat me up to know. Well, let's look at the middle class because they have issues too. The middle class are more free to eat whenever they want because their resources give them more options. And when it comes to food, quality is their driving force. Quality, not quantity. Danny said this in the book. It's not on the screen. If, If it doesn't taste good, then the middle class will pass. But if it's delicious, they will pay extra and come back later for more. They know that they have the choice of where to spend their money and had better get quality in both food and service, or they simply will not patronize that business in the future. Nor will they recommend that establishment to their friends or family. I have to tell you right here, as I was typing that quote into my sermon, this is when I believed the atmosphere of our church shifted because I made a decision to stop living in a poverty mindset. I'm not saying I still don't have elements of that that I'm still trying to get rid of, but I've moved on. I remembered that this is when we shifted as a church. This is what inspired your leaders to start having a culture of excellence here, and we've been striving for that ever since. I'm not saying we're good at it, but we've been striving for it. A new mindset of honoring you and others when we can. The middle class knows that they have options when it comes to selecting churches, So the quality of experience had to better be there or they won't. And right away, the poverty mindsets, you started having a tude about the middle class. Because remember I told you we we disagree because of our lens? 
And you were probably thinking, well, who do they think they are? They should just feel blessed to have a church to go to. I just got to tell you, the middle class, you know what they're going to think? They're going to be like, um, if you want to go back to that dirty bathroom, hard to park at, no adults in the nursery, no person talk to us church, go ahead. But honey, there are a lot more churches to choose from, and I have options. That's what they think. You see, it all depends on what glasses you're wearing. And that is why I have been striving to move our church towards a wealthy mindset, because it is a kingdom mindset to strive to have the culture of excellence so that the poor, the middle class, and the wealthy all feel welcomed, accepted, and loved here. Don't know if you've read the book of Revelations lately or not, but the streets of heaven are so pure of gold, you can see through it from the book of Revelations. The walls are made of jewels. The Bible, the Revelation says the walls are made of jasper. And you know, all the gates are made of pearl. And if you listen to Dr. David Jeremiah, they're seven feet thick of pure pearl. We don't even know what gems look like until we get there. Because our gems are all dirty, by the way. There's no way to actually purify them in a way to get a pure diamond or a pure pearl. But when we go there, we've never seen pure gold. You can't see through our gold. There's just too many, there's just too many wrong elements in there. But in heaven, it'll be see-through. Well, then take me there. I want to go there. Like, why leave me here where everything's dirty, like you said? Well, I hope that you start to believe that you can bring pure, pure gold here. It may not be actual gold, but you know what I mean? A pure gold influence on people. The wealth of heaven here. That's what I want you to realize. It's a culture of excellence in heaven that God wants you to live in right now before you get there. So, when it comes to the topic of food, most of us cannot relate to this next class, the wealthy, in your notes. The wealthy can have as much of the highest quality of food that they could ever want. They actually see food. <laughs> I can't. I got to tell you, I laugh every time I read it. They see food as a work of art. And presentation of that food is their driving force. If they are not impressed with the presentation of the food, if it doesn't pop when, when displayed, when brought out to them, they will probably not be back to that restaurant. And the middle class folks, they're having an attitude right now. And they're like, well, that's just ridiculous. Who cares about what it looks like if it tastes good? And the wealthy are like, honey, you just don't understand art. And because I can, and because I will tip the chef $100, he better work that food, girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. I'm not tipping if the food's not tripping. If it doesn't have pip, you ain't getting no tip. I better stop. This is their mindset. Listen, in the book, Danny said, if a poor guy goes into a restaurant for wealthy people, he's not going to be impressed with the dainty portion covered by a bunch of weeds. I was in Los Angeles. I was out in California with my brother for two weeks on vacation, and they took me to Los Angeles because they wanted to actually show me how the wealthy live. And they took me on Rodeo Drive, and it was just an incredible experience, anybody that's been there. I saw, I saw uh, women's handkerchiefs that were worth $4,000, and it was just to look like a doily. I mean, it was just, I wouldn't even wipe my nose with it anyways because I don't know how it catches anything, but I think it's just to brag about. They took me to a restaurant. It was in a hotel. And I didn't know what to order. I didn't even understand half of the words. I mean, I could tell it was fancy. So I ordered a seafood salad. I didn't know what else to order. So I just figured it would be like a buffet salad. <laughs> you know, everything just mashed together, you know, just with some shrimp on top and maybe some fancy chicken because it was a little. No. They took a head of lettuce, cut it in fours, put, put it on my plate with a little scoop of uh, tuna fish 
and then a little weed. I don't know what it was. Not something you smoke, by the way. But, but, uh, what, what, what would it be? Parsley or something? That was it. I looked at it and said, what is this? And Ron's like, that's your seafood salad. He, he said, Mark, we're not at Perkins. We're, <laughs> that's it. So I ate it and then went to McDonald's right after that. <laughs> okay, presentation. It looked beautiful, but it didn't do anything for me. And I didn't realize at that point it's because I'm in a poverty mindset. I didn't realize that. It was years before Katie and Angel gave me this book. So before I close this out today, I, I, I don't want you to separate yourself from any of the classes mentally. Listen, because, because of your income, because of your income, you may never see food the same way a wealthy person does. But that's not the point of today's message. The point of this is that you have to position yourself to see God and yourself through the lens of a wealthy person, a wealthy mindset. That's the point of today's message. You have to see yourself and God through the lens of a wealth mindset. You may never see food through a wealthy lens, but you must, as a son and daughter of the King of Kings, see yourself and the world through the lens of a wealthy mindset. We will cover the other three next week. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. I hope this really opened your eyes about yourself just with this one. So let me close out with, with a final quote from the book. Our class perspectives set us up to relate to resources in a certain way. You agree with that now? If we have little, then we don't expect much. We don't expect much more than getting our basic needs met. But if we have more than enough, then we expect even the everyday experience of eating food to be an encounter with beauty. Believers with a wealth class view expect much more in their experience with God than salvation. Can I just repeat this? Because this is what we're trying to get at. Believers with a wealth class view. So you may never have the money that they have, but you can have their view. Believers with a wealth class view expect much more in their experience with God than just saying a prayer, than just waiting to get to heaven to see streets of gold. What about gold dust falling now in this place like it has in many other churches who have tapped into something where heaven all of a sudden went and gave them a little peek of what the gold looks like over their church? They know, they know, they know these people who have a wealth mindset, these believers, there is more provision, more beauty, more power, and more joy than they could ever exhaust. They will never run out of it. So they make sure that they are living in it every day, all day long. Anything else would be ridiculous. Let's stand. Anything else would be ridiculous. Let's say that out loud. Because of who you serve because of whose you are and whom you are. A son and daughter of the King of Kings. So how many of you would agree, by a show of hands, I'm willing to do this, because I'm going to raise my hand, because I know I still have, uh, it's not elements, what is it, like uh, residuals or something of the, how many would you agree that there's growth that needs to take place in you with this, okay? Look around the room. 90%, 95%. See, we only think of wealthy as being, we only think of the wealthy as being proud and arrogant. But do you realize that poor people can be arrogant as well? Do you realize that poor people can have an attitude as well about their class? Oh, yeah. They put down rich people and are proud of their poverty. And pride is wrong whether you have a lot or a little. So I don't know about you, but I want to surround myself with people who live in a wealth mindset with God, because this is who my God is. This is what I want to leave you with. This is who my God is. Maybe I didn't put it in there. Do I have two scriptures in there? Blessed be the Lord. 
I did not know this passage was in there. Who daily loads us with benefits. That's who my God is. That's who your God is. You just have to take this on and believe it. You have to have faith for it. Faith is the key word. If that's Psalm 68, 19, Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able, now we know this one, to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly, who, to, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, according to the power, this is what I wanted to bring out from that, that is already in us. It's already in us. We just have to align our minds with the spirit man and have faith for it. It all comes back to this. Do you actually believe God? Because Some of you say you do with this, but you don't with this, or this, or this, or these. Leaving your comfort zone, leaving your family, and I don't mean literally, not necessarily. Let's pray. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us believe this so that we can tap into it. You ready? Alan, actually, will you come and close us in prayer? I don't know why I just sensed that. Grab a microphone right up here on the stage. So Alan is somebody that God has brought into our life that actually walks in this and is still trying to learn what that means. And he actually believes, uh, I'm not going to tell you what, you know, what he told me last night. You know, he can share that with you. But he actually believes that God is calling him to a whole nother level of this. So I can't wait to see that. I, I just want what he has now. And now right when I'm trying to have what he has, now God's calling him higher. It's like, wait, 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 dude. You got, don't, I don't want you to leave me behind. And anyway, he's not going to wait for me. But can you just pray that God would help us believe this so that we can tap into it?